The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Now, Exoordinary Mind Facts. Did you know that humans can only see 1% of the visible light spectrum? Which means we can only see 1% of what is going on around us. In other words, we are unable to see the vast 99% of the world we live in. Take a moment to absorb that. The majority of our existence is unseen. And that was Exoordinary Mind Facts. Now, on to this week's Veritas interview. I'm Exo. Good night. Tonight's special guest was eight years old when she received her alien scoop nearby a U.S. government defense plant that was covertly expelling a million pounds of nuclear waste into the surrounding environment. This unintentionally formed intergalactic nuclear beacon attracted visitors from outer space who selectively abducted her and other humans to harvest their biological cells. Tonight's discussion will revolve around her contact with nefarious unidentified visitors, the compelling medical, clinical, physical, photographic, audio and video evidence has been subjected to critical scrutiny before arriving at unavoidable conclusions. Greetings from your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview, and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is Victoria Fitzpatrick. Victoria grew up in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio minutes away from the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and moved to Colorado in 1984 where she attended the University of Colorado at Boulder and received two Bachelor's of Arts degrees, one in Russian language and the other in Central and Eastern European Studies. In 1999, Victoria began her career in enterprise software sales, primarily in the higher education market. Today, Victoria works as a consultant in the energy and alternative medicine field and represents several technologies, therapies, and supplements. She is also the associate director for a nonprofit that creates a health water supplement. Victoria has supported the UFO ET disclosure movement for many years. You can also learn more about her story in the new book, The Second of a Trilogy by Raymond Szymanski, a veteran of this program. The new book is titled Alien Shades of Grays, Victoria's Secret Truth. And we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. Victoria Fitzpatrick joins us directly from Littleton, Colorado. Hello, Victoria, and welcome to Veritas. Hi, Mel. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. And for the record, folks, I have known Victoria for a number of years. I consider her a friend. And when she came to me now and Ray Shumansky about the story, I was very happy to hear because the years I've known Victoria, I knew, I knew there was a story and she was waiting for the right time to start before she started disclosing this. Am I right in saying this? You, why did you keep it quiet for a while, Victoria? Well, I, I remember when you and I were sitting having having a, a chat with some other people um, and you, I was telling you a little bit about my experiences and you said, well, when am I going to interview you? And I thought, I kind of said, I just have a bunch of random stories and nobody <laughs> would really be interested in what, what I have to say. But, you know, I've always really felt that I'm more of a kind of a worker bee uh, working behind the scenes to support um, disclosure uh, and and so I never really saw myself as being kind of on a soapbox talking about my experiences, um, but here I am. And it's an incredible story. You know, it's I, I wanted to say this later, but it's a close encounter of the seventh kind, and you'll define that later. But I want to go into chronological order, Victoria. Take us back to where you grew up. 
your family, and when the first experience occurred. So I grew up uh, in a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, uh, lived in uh, the little house on Capstan Drive until I, w- I was born there, and I lived there until I was uh, 12 years old. And my earliest memory was, you know, when I was little, I mean, I had these quote unquote dreams where I had these ant people and they were all around the ceiling in my room. And the dream was over and over and over uh, year after year, it seemed. And they were strangely, they were threading, they were like winding thread around my room and they were little, but there were I mean, as a little kid, you know, I mean, I can still see it in my mind's eye, all these ants around the top of my room, like winding this thread through their hands, like you would kind of pass a rope back and forth through your hands. And they were winding thread around my room. And what the heck does that mean? I don't know, but it was, it's my most vivid memory from when I was little, like maybe four or five years old. And the memory has been very, very clear my entire life. And so, um, you know, when we talk about one of my regressions, I'll I'll, I'll bring that up again. But so it was the ant people in my room. And then I had another um, memory where I was standing in front of my window that looked out on the the front of my house onto Capstan Drive. And I just remembered this parade of uh, the Michelin tire man who was really, really big I mean, I was a little kid, but I saw them going down my street from right to left. And they were the the Michelin tire man and then um, a UFO, like the uh, regular like disc, the quintessential UFO disc, but it had rainbow lights around it. And then behind it was, um, strangely enough, the robot from Lost in Space. So it probably was some kind of a screen memory, but... When I saw the movie Ghostbusters and they had that big marshmallow man walking through the city, my heart stopped because I was like, oh, my gosh, that's like my Michelin tire man. It reminded me so much of that. Um, So those are my two earliest memories. My mother reported when I was little, four or five, six years old, that they would find me outside in the middle of the night. Uh, sometimes with the door locked um, from the inside. And, you know, I'd say, well, what was I doing outside? And she said, well, when we asked you, you said you were going to the bathroom. And, you know, which made no sense to me. But, you know, back then, I wasn't really talking about my experiences and and things that I intuitively felt that I knew. I, I, I never really had to believe in the ET presence. I hadn't, I feel like I had an intuitive knowing that it was so true. And so I never felt like asking my mom to investigate any further about those. And, and she's deceased now, so I couldn't go back and ask her. But those are my early, early memories. When you say that you have memories, are these memories coming back after your regression? And by the way, you couldn't have asked for better people to hypnotically regress you. I mean, come on, Dr. Leo Sprinkle. Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, you can't get any better than that. I mean, Dr. John Mack is no longer with us, but these are the best of the best, aren't they? They certainly are, and I feel very uh, fortunate and honored to have been able to work with them. So when it comes to your memories, do you think you're now hypnotically, do you have, are you hypnotically enhanced, you know, when it comes to your memories? So those three memories, or those two memories with the ant people and the, um, the Michelin tire man and that going down the street, those were very strong memories throughout my entire life. Those did not come out in regression. Um, although there was some clarity, uh, through the regression about those, um, experiences and possibly what they were doing and why they were doing it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, my, I sought out the regressions, based on conscious events, but they weren't conscious events where I was like face to face with an ET or remember consciously being on a craft. Everything was in my mind's eye. Um, although I did have some conscious events that, um, that Barbara and I examined and some conscious events, um, that, uh, Yvonne and I examined in those two regressions. And so, um, and I found out a lot about those, um, conscious events 
and what led to them, uh, I found out during the regressions. Before your regressions, how much did you remember? Um, I remembered the ant people and I remembered the, um, the parade going down the street. Um, and I just always had a very keen interest in anything that was paranormal or UFO ET related. And, you know, I just kind of was in the background, just living life and, and being interested in, you know, alternative things like that. Um, you know, I had some, uh, as I look back now, after Ray and I have worked on this book and I have, you know, m- scrutinized some things in my life a little more closely, um, you know, I had physical symptoms of a contactee of, you know, being, um, you know, in, in a hybridization project, I believe, um, based on other information that I've learned and physical things that I had in my life all through my life. And if you want me to explain that now, I will. Before you explain that, have you been in touch also with Dr. David Jacobs at all? I have not. And I mean, I know I've heard of Dr. Jacobs and I have not read his books, but Ray has been reading his books and another book. And he said that a lot of the things that are in, um, my regressions um, that Dr. Jacob had described. And so I really want to get his book and read it. Um, I can't remember which one it is now. Ray told me, but he's been reading it. And and also one of Dr. Mack's books. I guess there are some similarities. Yes, that's why I asked you. Was anyone in your family involved with the military or government projects at all? Um, not, I mean, I think my great grandfather was in, um, the military. I think he was in world war one, but you know, no, I don't think so. Um, my mother, you know, worked at that government plant. Um, there you go. but well, I guess it wasn't, a, it wasn't a government plant, but it was a, nuclear. Um, it was a nuclear plant, wasn't it? Yeah. But you know what? I didn't even, Ray found that out. I mean, he, he found out that you know, that they call it the second Roswell because they've um, videotaped UFOs over it and stuff. But I just happened to tell Ray, I said, you know, my mother had this really terrible autoimmune disease. She had one of the worst cases of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and she was diagnosed at 21 and she started working. At, it was called National Lead of Ohio back then. And I was just happened to tell Ray, I said, you know, my mom were, my mom had this really terrible disease, rheumatoid arthritis. And you know, she worked at a place with the word lead in it. So I can't imagine that was good. So Ray started investigating, you know, that facility. And he's the one who broke open that whole thing that, you know, that that um, they were spewing out three or some odd time the nuclear waste that was allowed by the EPA or that was safe, uh, according to the EPA. And um, it just it, it just really struck home as wow, that must be it. And so she worked at National Lead that later was called Fernald. And um, they, they videotaped UFOs over it. They, you know, there's a lot of reporting of UFOs over the National Lead slash Fernald plant over the years. It's closed down now. Um, but my mom worked there. I think she started at 19. And she probably worked there until she was in her mid twenties. And she was diagnosed with her rheumatoid arthritis at 21. And she carried both my brother and myself. Um, you know, she was pregnant with us both when she worked there and my brother and I, um, were only 22 months apart. My brother's also deceased, but we were 22 months apart. And in that, um, you know, the period of time she wasn't pregnant with me, she had two miscarriages in between that time, you know, so Ray even, you know, hypothesizes that perhaps they weren't truly miscarriages, but more, you know, she was carrying and then, and then the fetus was taken. I don't know. I don't have any more information on that, but I do know she had two miscarriages between my brother and myself and she carried us both to full term, uh, while working at national lead. Why do you think these facilities and this facility was not part of the department of energy, correct? I don't 
know for sure because um, Ray really studied it all. It, they had a Department of Defense contracts. I know that. Oh, there you go. Okay, um, but, so at least they had some affiliation via contracts, uh, contractors. But my question was, basically, when it comes to nuclear facilities or energy facilities, why do you think they become more like a magnet, a beacon? I mean, look at Malmstrom, 1967, the, the, the uh, testimony from Captain Robert Salas and many others. Why do you think that UFOs come to these facilities Almost like, uh, what's the word I want to use? Uh, bees to honey, almost. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think the answer is that, you know, because of the nuclear capabilities and the destruction that could be. And if they, if national lead was spewing out, you know, three times the EPA, um, you know, safe standard of nuclear waste, then maybe, you know, they were monitoring it. And then, of course, at Malmstrom, they, you know, had 10... Uh, they had, I think, 10 stacks there that, that were all taken down. Um, and, you know, so it's it's about the nuclear, uh, the nuclear power, I guess. Based on, and we're going to get into your story, but based on, based on what you have experienced, what combination of properties must an individual possess to become a target of alien abduction? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't, you know, I think the only reason they probably found me, I, I, at first I thought they found me because of my close proximity to Wright-Patterson, you know, because I grew up about 15 minutes from Wright-Pat. And I thought, well, maybe they found me that way. But then discovering this whole national lead for story, you know, it would make perfect sense that they would be studying, you know, the effects of, of radiation from in vitro through through birth and life perhaps and and like i said i lived within 5 miles from from national lead and lived there until i was 12 and then we moved you know just a few miles into another um you know little local town so i was still really close throughout my life and um one of the things that really helped validate for me was so in 2008, I did my first regression with Leo and in the regression it towards, you know, I think it was towards the end. I said something, I said, the ETs are surprised that I'm as strong as I am because my mother and my brother are not strong. And I thought, why on earth would I say that? That makes absolutely no sense to me. And that was in August of 2008. Well, then fast forward to 2018 when Ray started investigating the story, it would make sense that they would study me because to see what the effects were and why they would say that in the regression that they wanted to know why I was so strong and my mother and my brother weren't. Do you see what I'm saying? Why it, do you think you were stronger than them? I have absolutely no idea. But I mean, I am so blessed with such great health, mental faculties, and I thrive. Um, I mean, that's my, evident. My... That's evident. When somebody sees you, they don't even know that you're half your age, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I thrived and my brother didn't and my mother didn't. Um, I just have absolutely no idea. It's a mystery. Mel Wheatley Streber, Melinda Leslie, whom you know, and many others, mm -hmm. they report the abductions, but they also report the MyLab. And since you are close to Pat, and there's this facility close to you where your mother worked, do you think that in addition to the, let's call them ET abduction, do you think that a MyLab might have ensued after? Well, I don't know. Um, through my regressions, um, they, I believe they were all um, ETs that that I was interacting with during the regressions. And because I have no conscious memories, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I did have, and it's in the book. One day, um, two men came to our door and I was probably, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine at the time, maybe 10. Um, and two men came to the door. The men in and black? I, they weren't, they no, they were dressed in like, I, I, remembered as being kind of like work pants, the way my dad would, he was a foreman at a paper mill and he wore like, you know, 
dress slacks and a short sleeve shirt okay. with a pocket protector always. And, um, and that's what I remember these guys wearing. And I can even like, I still picture it in my mind because I remember cracking the door open, you know, like six or eight inches and they had burr haircuts because my dad wore a burr haircut. So I remembered that real well. I mean, I can still see them. And, um, I said, do you want me to get my mom? Cause my mom was in bed. She was in bed most of my childhood. And they said, can you know, uh, do you want, I said, do you want me to go get my mom? And they said, no, we just want to talk to you. And Mel, that's all I remember. That's all I remember. Did you let him in? No, 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 no. I talked to them. I don't believe I did. I talked to them with that door cracked because I can even picture myself standing there with the door cracked talking to them. I don't know what they asked me. I don't know how long they were there. Um, that's all I re- That's all I remember. But it's a very vivid conscious memory of those men coming to the door. And you never saw them again? I do not know. Not that I recall. Not that I recall. Um, you know, and you, if I fast forward to some of my grandson's experiences, Bobby, when he had an experience, he claimed that they touched his eye with a stick and made him go back to sleep. Yeah, and hold it, hold it, because that comes later. That comes later. That sounds, that's a great story, too, by the way. Um, well, I was... I was just going to say that I told Ray, I said, I wonder if they touched my eye with a stick to make hmm. me forget that conversation hmm. or something. <laughs> it, it, the thing is that this is just, it, folks, years ago, if you told me about all these stories, I wouldn't believe anything. But I have seen and I have talked and I've looked at Victoria and I have looked at other people who have sat with me and have looked them in, in the eye and folks, I have a very keen way when I'm looking at somebody in the eye, if they're lying. And I remember seeing Victoria and I met other people around us. Anyway, I, I just wanted to, to reaffirm that, that your story needed to be told. And I'm so glad that, that we're doing that today. Why do you think UFOs gravitate again to you and to some, some other people that we know? What is it that they're looking for? Well, I think in my case, um, they were, they wanted to perhaps, and this is just, I'm totally guessing that they wanted to monitor me based on the amount of, you know, because I was, you know, in, in my mother's womb when I was first, um, exposed to the high doses of radiation and then, you know, living so close to that plant, um, I grew up with a lot of radiation. So perhaps, they wanted to study the effects of radiation on, you know, uh, on humans. Um, and, and then perhaps because I was so strong is why they wanted to harvest my eggs to make other strong <laughs> beings that could withstand radiation. I, I don't know. I, I'm just completely guessing that one. Do you think this happened even before you have recollection, perhaps even when you were in your mother's Womb. Did she ever report any paranormal activity while she was pregnant with you or even before? Um, you know, my, my poor mother, um, you know, she was so sick. She was on so many strong drugs and medication that she just wasn't always completely there, if you know what I mean. And, um, but she had a very keen interest also in the paranormal. Um, I remember you know, she'd listen to radio talk shows back in the early 70s, I, you know, out in the front yard in the summertime with her friends, and they'd be listening to some kind of paranormal show. I remember we had a Ouija board um, in our house. And I remember when I was little, my mom put it up in the cupboard and she said, we are not getting this down again. <laughs> I don't know whatever happened to it, but I was never allowed to. But I was always really intrigued and interested in anything paranormal. And but my mother never reported anything, but I never really, you know, uh, broached the topic with her because it, it just I it just wasn't that important to me, I guess. You probably have heard, and I don't mean to mix this with your story at all, because your story goes all the way back to when you were a child and, you know, 2008 with Dr. Leo Sprinkle and so on. But I'm assuming you've watched Stranger Things, have you? Uh, no, is that a TV show or yes. a movie? Yes, yes. No. Okay, well, I, I highly suggest that you do, because a lot of this stuff, and you know how the government uses scripts from 
what they have seen elsewhere, and they put it into quote-unquote science fiction. But mm -hmm. the part that's why I said Department of Energy, a child who has a bleeding nose, and all that stuff that's very similar to this, and you haven't seen it, so I recommend that you do. But tell me more about the ant people. Did they look like ants, or were they the... The worker bees for the grace. Um, they looked like ants to me um, because I remember they and they were I remember they were little. So, I mean, I'm holding up my hand now to like two inches. Um, they were just thousands of them around my ceiling winding this thread. And but they were they had like the three section bodies um, and they had little antennas. And and, um, and I remembered that their hands were like little like clasps or cups where like the fingers weren't separated they were like little cups and they were winding this thread in between their little cupped hands and they were you know like the color of ants like a reddish brown um and i think now i have to tell you i haven't listened to any of my regressions i think i listened to the first one in 2008 but it's, that's you know, I haven't listened to it since then. And I have not listened to any of the regressions that I did since then, but I have memories from the regressions of what, I, what I uncovered. And, um, I think in one of the regressions, um, uh, I, the regressionist asked me if the beings were the ant people. And I think I said that maybe they were, but they were bigger, you know, like they were three, four feet tall. They weren't little tiny. Um, they were not like was, mantis, right? Yeah, they weren't mantis, but there were definitely mantis in my experiences because the mantis was the one that was removing, taking something out of me or putting something in me on the table. So but there, the were, other little, uh, there were higher hierarchy, if you will. I think perhaps, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now describe and, more of your first regression with Dr. Leah Sprinkle. So my first regression with Leo, um, because my memories were so vivid and so strong, the ant people and the Michelin tire man and that whole, whole scenario, I kind of wanted to uncover, you know, what was going on in my childhood, um, you know, what, what was happening. And so in that regression, um, we did uncover that uh, when I was little, that I was up there on a craft and they weren't you know, they weren't taking anything or putting anything into me, but instead I remember they would just kind of surrounded me on this table and they were sort of petting me like with their hands and they kept saying, good specimen. She's a good specimen, strong, good specimen. Um, but In I English, don't remember. Were they saying it or was it well, telepathic? It was telepathic. It was telepathic, but they were, they were saying, they were expressing, I guess, that I was a good specimen. Well, I guess that meant I was, because I was little, it was, you know, pre, um, you know, before I became a woman um, and started menstruating. So it was when I was little, but I just remember them kind of saying good specimen or, or telepathically saying, you know, good specimen. And they were petting me. They were like on the side of me just, and they were like putting their hands and they were just kind of petting, not petting back and forth. Like their hands were going forward, back, forward, back, little little forward back, um, on, on the side of me, uh, like in saying I was a good specimen. And I guess maybe because I was thriving, even though I had, you know, all of this, um, this, uh, nuclear waste, uh, exposure. Um, and so, so that was a big part of the first regression, um, Were you was scared? just kind of like, well, no, and that's the strange thing is that I've never felt frightened by, by any of this. Um, now I, I, that's not to say that I wouldn't be really frightened if I woke up and saw, uh, an entity in right in front of me, but I don't have any conscious memory like that. My memory was all in my mind's eye through quote unquote dream or what I what I uncovered in my regressions, but I don't have any memories of being on a craft. I don't have any any memories of, you know, being you know face to face with any entities. And at that age, you were not scared. Does that mean that perhaps, and this is, I think Ray and perhaps I, this is just my personal opinion. 
you're being you're part of a hybridization program. Do you think that you agreed that. to that? I do, Mel, and that's interesting that you say that because I have said that for many, 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 many years that I believe that I had a pre-birth agreement to participate in whatever this is, and part of it was them you know, harvesting eggs from me because I never had any fear about it. I never, you know, felt that, you know, strangely enough, I never really felt violated by it. I just kind of felt like it was my duty to, you know, go along with it or to uh, agree to it. But of course we know that you, you haven't really aren't agreeing to do it because if they want to come and abduct you, they do, I suppose. But I never felt like, oh my God, what's happening to me? You know, I wake up with bruises and marks and this and that and, you know, scoops and it it's never really frightened me. In your regressions, your multiple regressions, do you ever recall having, and when I say conversation, I, I use that term loosely. It could be telepathically or any other way. Do you recall any conversation with any of these beings? Well, I remember um, the mantis, and I think this would have been in my um, my second and fourth regression, or my first and fourth, I can't remember. But um, I remember the mantis saying, you're here, something to the effect, or, or telepathically saying, you know, you remember you've been here before, we're doing this again, we'll come back and do it again at another time. And kind of like, you know, this is just the way it is. You're, you're going, we're going to do this and we're going to do it again. And we did it before. Um, and, and in my first regression with Leo, um, I actually heard audible, like a clicking or a chattering from these entities that I believe were a larger size ant, ant people. And, um, I remember they were going like, like that kind of sound. Mm -hmm. Like predator. Like, like uh, predator. I okay. I never saw that movie. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, yeah. It. So they, they made that sound in that movie. Uh, yes. Okay. And so, so I remember they were like going like that. And then in my fourth regression with Yvonne, I remember thinking to myself, I wonder if this is real because, you know, it just, the information was just flowing so easily. But at the, towards the end of my regression with Yvonne, I remember there were some entities off to the right and, and I'm, I'm motioning my arm kind of like they were around a corner almost. Cause I don't remember that I could see them, but I could hear them kind of going like chit, 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 chit. And so for me, it kind of gave me some validation that that was a true really regression. What was really happening because in my first regression, I also heard them making that, that sound. And so, for I mean, may not make sense to anybody else, but for me, it it, val it was a form of validation that that in the first regression, the first or second, and then in the fourth, but in the other two regressions, I didn't have that, but in two of them, I did. I'm remembering my conversation with Yvonne Smith, uh, 2008, 2009, and she was kind enough to provide a couple of 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 tapes to me or recordings of two brothers. Uh, farm boys when they were little and you know the, the the recording was recently maybe 10 15 years ago i believe but one of them if i recall was so vivid and he's almost describing an insectoid uh, person doing all the stuff you know touching the eye and 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 doing all the experimentation i wonder if these are the same beings who knows um <laughs> Uh, you know, it's interesting because even though I've had a keen interest and have just kind of been going along in life knowing that, you know, I've likely had these experiences and, and participating in this program, um, I've never really sought out. I haven't gone and watched a lot of movies. I haven't read a lot of books. Um, you know, I go to you know, the International UFO Congress. Now, I think this will be my, uh, this year will be my 10th year going. Um, but I, I haven't really sought out 
you know, a lot in the, in the field, in the genre, so to speak. Um, so that's why I haven't seen, you know, some of the movies that you, or the movie you mentioned, or some of the books that Ray had mentioned that, uh, some of my experiences were, uh, similar to what he read in these books. So, you know, I, so I haven't like put myself out there to go and investigate all this stuff. I was just going along in life. Do you think subconsciously you're blocking being exposed to science fiction, maybe not to, you know, change the, 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 the story as it goes in your subconscious mind? Um, no, I, I don't, I mean, who knows subconsciously, but I don't, I don't think so. Now, um, I recently watched, um, the, uh, mini series called Taken that oh, was yeah. done by uh, Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Yeah. We watched that, like, I don't know, maybe a month ago. I hadn't seen it and, and we watched it and I about fell out of my chair. Um, when I think it was in the very first episode where the guy, it was the fighter pilot, he woke up and he had three finger mark bruises on his forearm. And I, 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 I it takes my breath away now, even. I mean, and of course, in the book, there's a photograph. You mean when the aliens saved his up. plane from crashing? Right. It was that guy. But he woke up with three bruises, finger mark bruises on, on his arm. And it was part of the, uh, of the, the movie. Right. Like and you. I about, yeah. Yeah. I woke up and I had those exact same bruises. And if you look at mine, they're almost the exact same fingers apart, like right. space apart and same shape as mine. I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I, you know, I, I sent it off to, to Ray. I did a snapshot of the, um, the video screen and I just couldn't believe it was, it's ex almost exactly the same as on my arm. And that really freaked me out. That's interesting. I was watching Taken when my wife was getting ready to give birth in 2007. We were watching it at home. And the last episode, when she actually broke water and we had to leave on the last episode. So I just thought about that. Now, during your second <laughs> regression, you described mm -hmm. seeing... By the way, when they say, say, you're doing this again, you're doing this again, does this mean on this lifetime... Or do, do they mean that you have done this before in different incarnations? And that's, I, I'll ask you the question after you respond to this. Wow. That, no, that's a really great question. I never even considered um, that uh, possibility. I always uh, likened it to the fact that it's happening in this lifetime, that they were saying, we've we've, you've been here before and you're going to be here again. I, I associated it with this lifetime. And the reason why I ask you this is because during your second regression, I believe, you described seeing two universi or universes simultaneously, one which is light-filled and joyous, and the other one which is earthly and heavy. Tell us more. Yeah, that that was really amazing. Um, and so that regression, so I... I went back to Leo in almost exactly a year later, August of 2009. And I said, Leo, I've had a lot of things happen in this last year. And I really don't want to investigate all of the things that happened. What I want to know in this regression is what is my role? What is the big picture for me? What is this all about for me? And so throughout the regression, it kind of started where I was a light being And I had children around me, but they were light being children and they wanted me, they were really happy I was there and we were, were kind of, they were in a circle and we were doing songs and laughing and we were in a beautiful place. And, um, and then, you know, it switched to where there was this, uh, it was like almost like a curtain. And, and the way I describe it is, you know how when you see heat on the concrete pavement and it kind of ripples like a energy you can see? Like an oasis. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But it was like a curtain, like, you know, and I liken it to like a shower curtain. Yeah. It was like a curtain like that. And but it was like iridescent and it was like that that energy. It was energy because it was um and so on on one side I was um, you know, in my physical, and on the other side I was I was a light being. And I remember in the regression, I was like sticking my arm 
from the physical side, sticking my arm through to the other side and then pulling it back. And then I was like jumping back and forth and I could be a light being on this side and I'm human on this side. And what, what I started doing then was if you can imagine like I, so say I'm standing there and the curtains on my left here, this energetic curtain, and there are a line of people on my right and I'm taking people by their forearm and I'm helping them cross over the, um, the curtain into the light being side. And I was just helping people. I was taking them by the forearm and I was crossing them over. And what's amazing about that. And I didn't realize it until I was driving home from Wyoming, um, which is where I met Leo for it. That's where his office was, um, where it popped into my mind that the motion that I was making and helping people cross from the physical to the light is the same motion that the ant people were making in my room with the thread. Because when I described the ant people wrapping thread around my room, I always used that motion of like where you're kind of threading a rope through your, your hands, you know, Mm -hmm. back and forth and back and forth. And I always made that motion and said they were wrapping thread around my room. But that's the exact same motion I was making when I took people by the forearm with my right hand, uh, threaded it to my left hand and crossed them into the light being light space. Let's let's dissect this more. (sighs) You were taking people from, can we call it a different dimension or I don't know what what to say. It's obviously a different- From the physical to a a more, you know, a different vibratory state, if you will. Yes. These people you're taking, these people you're taking, are they people like you and I, or are they people who are crossing over, if you know what I mean when you say, to the light? Are these people that are passing on? That's a great question, too, and I never thought about that. But no, I, and here's how I saw it in my regression, I can still see it in in my mind's eye right now, is that there was like a line of people. And my role was to um, help them to accept that the fact that it's okay, that it's not just all about this heavy physical space we're in. Cross over and look what else is waiting for us over here. So I likened it to, or I, I imagined it to be like just regular humans like you and me that I was helping introduce them to not be afraid of who they really are, a higher vibration being. That's how I explained it to myself. Do you think the lighter setting is the afterlife where we go after we die? And why do you think they took you there? I think it's part of, I think we all have the ability to raise our vibration and that we can traverse dimensions. And then when we talk about my third regression with Barbara, that comes into play really a quite quite a lot. But um, I just remember that I was helping people cross from the physical to the light, live living people, and I was making the same motion with my hand. And it was more about just introducing them to look, this isn't what, it, this isn't all there is. There's so much more. And we've all got the ability to experience it and be part of it. Um, but, but would that be called heaven? Would it be called a different dimension? I'm not sure. This brings me back to my conversations with the late Dolores Cannon. And before I talked to her again, all this stuff to me was just mumbo jumbo. I didn't believe any of this, but she used to tell me when I used to ask her, what about people who, who are meat eaters? And she would say to me, well, they're heavier they're, they have a lower vibration when you become a vegetarian, and that's what just, those are her words. So my point, they were trying to get you to be, quote-unquote, prepared, and you needed to be at 79%. But you were at 68%. Preparing right. for what? And how are they preparing you? Isn't that the craziest thing that I would come up with those numbers? It makes no sense to me, but that doesn't mean that it won't make sense at some point, just like them telepathically saying I'm stronger. They couldn't understand why I was stronger than my mother and brother made sense 10 years later. So I don't, you know, my, that percentage, um, I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, well, it makes sense to me based on what I just told you, what Dolores had said to me that the ETs had said, you need to be at a certain 
point in order to vibrate to be able to, if you want to use the word ascension, I mean, I think that's kind of a new agey term. But if you want to cross over to experience other things, you need to be able to vibrate at that point. And the powers that want to be via the air, the water, the uh, the, the food that we eat, they their goal is to always keep us down so we can stay stagnant on this plane, if you will. Well, I remember saying that I needed to meditate more. And in order, you know, in order to reach this state, um, but you know, I'm probably doing all the things that Dolores Cannon would say is wrong uh, in order to reach that, you know, that pinnacle of ability. I'm a meat eater. I drink alcohol. You know, I, I, I mean, I'm not. I, I use organic, but. You know, I'm not, I'm not eating, um, you know, a, a pure vegetarian diet. And Dito, Dito, you know, Dito with me too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so um, I probably I probably could experience more if I would clean up my act, perhaps. But isn't it interesting that, anyway, this, this is just, you know, coincidences, because what you just said about meditation— I had an encounter once, and everybody knows that has listened to the show. My first person that I, it's a human being. I've been told that she was not, but that was the human being that I saw who disappeared later once I left the location where I used to be. She told me, somebody wants to always be in touch with you, but you're not allowing it. You need to meditate. You need to meditate. You need to meditate. And I've always had a hard time because I fall asleep. But this is one of those biggies that I've been told. You need to meditate so you can open yourself to all of these. Now, you say you could take people with you when you were ready. Were you designated as an ambassador or something similar? Well, and that was part of the second regression. And that's kind of what I took that took from that regression was that, you know, I've agreed to participate in this, you know, uh, hybridization uh, or extraction of eggs. But bigger picture is that I can help people to it accept or not be frightened um, about what is our, our what is the truth out there or what you know I believe to possibly be the truth kind of what I believe um, so yeah I do think that that um, I was acting as an ambassador so to speak mm -hmm. and these people that you were taking do you remember them at all were they part of your circle people that you may have no friends or acquaintances at all? No, they were a line of faceless, faceless people. I mean, I'm sure they had faces, but I just remember I'd take them by the forearm and then I'd cross them over through that, that uh, curtain of energy. No, it, I think it was awesome. We have uh, talked about this before, but many experiencers report that what happens to them is intergenerational. You have a grandson, Bubby. Tell us about the mice people and what happened to them or to him, actually. And by the way, I feel like in a very small part that I, I have a first row seat because I personally know most of the people in your story. I don't know your grandson, but I personally know you, Glenn, Paul, all the people who regressed you. So I feel somewhat special reading the book and thinking, I was there and I was there at that time. And I was, you see what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, so multi-generational. Yeah, probably. So, of course, we don't know for sure about my mom and my brother, but we know that my mom had a keen interest. Um, and my daughter um, has had absolutely no interest in talking about this at all. And um, so she, nothing was ever reported to me by her. Um, but my grandson, who is now 10, and I've had... Um, legal custody of him since he was one and a half, almost two. Um, and I have played a big role in his life um, over these past eight and a half years. Um, but his mother is now, you know, taking care of him full time. Uh, but he's still with me. He's actually here uh, with me all this week. He's still out of school. But, um, you know, he still spends quite a lot of time with me. And in the, his early years, he, you know, I had him Uh, five days a week for uh, about five years. Uh, I can't, I was his primary caregiver. Um, and so when he was about 
three and a half. Um, I think it would have been, so he was born in nine, 10, 11, 12. So it was um, in 2013. And my friend Glenn was visiting, who you know, Glenn from Australia. Of course. And um, we, well, backtrack to a couple of days before uh, the story starts. Um, Bobby came into my room and he had a really messy face of blood. And I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? And he took me into his room and he, he had like, there was a big pool of blood on his sheets and pillow. I was like, oh my gosh, what happened? I mean, he was little, he was only, you know, three and a half probably. And, um, you know, I, I just thought, oh my gosh, he had a terrible nosebleed. I didn't think anything really about it. Um, he didn't say anything, report anything, but three days later, when we were driving, uh, I was pick. I had picked him up from preschool, and Glenn was in the car with me. He, I was driving. Glenn was in the passenger seat, and Bobby was in the back seat. And just out of the blue, he goes, "Hey, Grant." He used to always say, "Hey, Grandma." I say, "Yeah." He goes, "Can I tell you something?" I say, "Yeah." And he said, "So you know how I got that bloody nose?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "So well, the mice people came in my room, and they took me down to the choo-choo room, which was a room where we had his trains." And they took me down to the choo-choo room and they stuck a booger in my nose. And that's how my nose started bleeding. I was like, and I grabbed Glenn's arm. I'll never forget. I grabbed his arm like, oh, my gosh. And, and then he says, um, he said, oh, and he said, and then they touched my, sti- my eye with a stick and made me go back to sleep. And I mean, this kid's three and a half years old. This is coming out of the back seat. So as soon as we got home, I got my tape recorder out and I, I tried to, you know, in, urge him to tell me the story again. And he did pretty much recount the exact story, um, you know, but he, he didn't want to elaborate. But I mean, that's what he said to me. And since then, um, he had one other. Well, I didn't know this until a few years later when I was showing somebody the bloody nose pictures. Um, it was a year to the day later. It was the first Friday in March of uh, 2013 and the first Friday in March of 2014 where he claims the mice people came and he had bad bloody nose. And it's always the left nostril. And um, so it was a year to the day. So then I started with the night vision camera, especially on the first Friday in March to see if I could catch anything. And I haven't. Um, I didn't. But he had one other event where he had a bloody nose, but he described that guy as um, like he said it had skin like a snake, but the face of a robot. Um, and I mean, the, he was little when these things, he's three and a half, four and a half. And then the, um, I think the, um, robot guy was when he was five. Um, so, I mean, he was really little with all of these things and he's never acted scared either. Um, and you know, Bobby is a very unique person. He, he's He's very mature for his age. Anyone who meets him really taken by him because, you know, he's very mature and he he engages with adults um, and, you know, he's not afraid to talk to them. And, you know, he uh, he's a very empathetic person. He kind of knows things sometimes before they happen. But, um, you know, he uh, the, the typical indigo child. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's a very artistic and he loves to build things. And, but he, um, he, um, what was I just going to tell you that he, um, let's see, there was something I wanted to tell you about that. Um, oh, so when he was like between the ages of like four and eight, like he started all of a sudden telling me that he sees what he described as energy where he would, and he actually made a book about it and he had called it my energy book and he would draw pictures of what he saw and he would give them names. Um, and the most beautiful one, um, was this, it was kind of, um, I think it was a, a, like a lime green oval and it had a pink halo around it. And he called that the face of happiness. And I love that one. He had, you know, one called starry, starry night that he said it was a bunch of little blue dots floating around. He had one he called flying pizza dough because he said he was eating a piece of pizza at the breakfast bar and I opened the kitchen cabinet and he said it flew out of the cabinet. Um, and I actually asked him today, 
I, you know, I told him I was going to be talking with you. And I, I said, have you had, have you seen energy lately? He goes, Hmm, you know, as a matter of fact, I haven't, I haven't thought about that. So, you know, he was seeing, he, I mean, now he's 10. So maybe he's maybe lost some of that ability, you know, to see, um, those types of things. I don't know. Uh, but you know, he said, he, he told me he sees energy and he's, he has expressed three different times that he saw, you know, two different times. Uh, he called them the mice people. And, um, he actually drew a picture of them in the book. You saw that when he was little, he was like three and a half when he drew that picture. Um, and then, you know, the robot guy, but that's the only ones he's described. Um, although one time he said, and he was maybe four, four and a half, five, and he goes, Hey grandma, can I tell you something? Sure. And he said, so last night you and I went up in a spaceship. I said, we went up in a spaceship. What did we do? And he said, we took people to the hospital. And I said, we took people to the hospital. Why, why did we do that? And he kind of goes oh, like, come on, grandma. He's like, oh, so they could get fixed. And I go, okay. Then you were and the pilot. He goes, Say again. And you were the pilot. The, and then he goes, oh, and grandma. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you were driving the spaceship. And I said, what? <laughs> and it struck me as funny because, you know, you read in the book. So, you know, that, um, Lavendar, who is a gifted, um, psychic, and she actually was Shirley MacLaine's spiritual guide when Shirley wrote out on the limb. And I did some volunteer work for her. And so she did a reading for me and this was probably in 2008. And she told me that I piloted a, a craft once. So when Bobby told me that it kind of was like, holy smokes, you're the second person who told me that. And you're only, you know, four years old or five years old. Uh, so, um, I don't remember driving any spaceships. I'll tell you that. This is just great. We have a lot more to discuss when we come back as we have to break this segment into two. But let me just tell you a quick funny story about some of this. This is 2014 when Glenn came for the first time. Was it 2014 or 2013? He came in 2013 the first time when I met him, but we were a couple in 2014. Right. So 2013 is when you met him. It's when I met him too. And we were in this room uh, in one of the holes at the hotel at the UFO Congress. And uh, Oh, Mel? Yeah, yeah. Yes. 12 when I met him and 13. So I just want to fix that year. It was 12 to 13. Okay. So 12 is when I met him the first time he came to the UFO Congress? Yes. Okay. So 2012. And all of a sudden, I start talking with him, and he's telling me, oh, I just came from Australia uh, because I, I heard these people on these interviews, and he came to, to meet them at the UFO Congress because I know they were going to be here. And I'm like, oh, so where did you listen? Oh, I found out on this great show. It's called Veritas, and the guy's <laughs> male, and this and that. And I'm thinking, wait a second. I had my little, what do you call that, the name tag? It was backwards, right. so he couldn't see it. So I kept talking with him for about 20 minutes, and he's like, so have you listened to Veritas? And I'm like, eh, I've heard about it. And I kept, t he kept just trying to sell me the program. And then all of a sudden, I said, Glenn, I changed the, the name tag. And then he looked at me like, oh my God, it's you. Anyway, that was a funny <laughs> story. Great gentleman, great love Glenn. When you, when you talk to him, say hello for me. But folks, don't go anywhere. The book is Fifty Shades. No, I'm sorry. No, it's Aliens, Shades of Grey's Victoria's Secret Truth. How, the, the written by uh, Raymond Szymanski with a foreword by Dr. Leo Sprinkle. How can people buy the book, Victoria? It is on Amazon, and I provided that link to you. Um, and so you can uh, get either the ebook or the printed book. And so... Um, yeah, that's how you can find it on Amazon. Just search uh, Victoria's Secret Truth UFO and you'll probably find it. Excellent. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with my special guest and friend, Victoria Fitzpatrick. Much more. Part two. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. 
To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the Members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.